This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hello, I'm Manesh Shah, an internal medicine physician and medical officer in the Division of Global HIV and Tuberculosis at the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. I work on implementing global HIV treatment programs for the U.S. President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, or PEPFAR. PEPFAR is the largest commitment by any nation in history to fight a single disease. I'm here at CDC headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia, with my new friend, Dee Impafi, to talk about how we work to fight the HIV epidemic worldwide with the goal of saving lives and ultimately ending the epidemic. Dee, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Minaj. My name is Matapo Marian Dee Impafi. I'm 22 years old. I live in Maseri, Lesotho. I work there as a PA counselor with the Elizabeth Kleiser Pediatric AIDS Foundation, which works to fight HIV around the world as part of PEPFAR. That's great, Dee, and, and welcome. How did you get involved in the fight against HIV in Lesotho? When I was first diagnosed by HIV back in 2016, I was discriminated by a health professional, which was my doctor who was initiating me on ART the treatment. So after that discrimination and the stigma, I was also in the adult clinic where everyone would know that that building is it's meant for HIV positive people. So it was really not good back then. And then I got a call to be transferred to the adolescent corner where Basically, it's young people giving services to other young people. So we were there with all these other young people who are HIV positive, and we had a group that they named a peer support group. Dee, going back to, to the first part when you were diagnosed, um, that sounds like such a terrible experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you that way. Yeah. How did you get from there to where you are now, where you're actually part of fighting the epidemic? Basically, the peer support group really helped me to build my confidence and tried to make me the person who I am today, tried to make me very brave that I can stand in front of people and tell them I'm HIV positive. And with the support that I got from my parents and people in the adolescent corner, it was really great. So they really motivated me to be where I am today and having to see that the stigma and discrimination, most of it in my country, Lesotho, it's done by other young people. So I think, or I thought then, it's time that I stand up and it's time that I give people my story that they, they, they would feel motivated. They would say, if she can do it, then why can I not do it? So if she sees life in future, then what about me? That's really remarkable and, and inspiring. And I'm just curious, what do you do now for uh, the Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation? I create demand for young people to come to the facilities by mobilizing them to to come to the health facilities. Um, I go out on radios, TV, and try to do outreaches like schools and talk to them, try to tell them that we have this adolescent corners where you are seen by young people your age, so you all, you won't be feeling judged when you, you, you get to the adolescent corner and you can get almost any information that you want. does not necessarily mean you have to go there when you're sick. What I do also, I counsel young people like myself. Basically, I use my story 
um, in terms of those who are living with HIV. And I also try to motivate and empower young um, girls and young women um, who live with HIV that they should know that even if you are your woman, you, you, you can still stand up for your rights. You can still feel empowered. You can still be somebody in life, not just because you're a woman, so you have to breastfeed or babysit or clean the house. You, 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 you have value. We also have what they call an intergenerational uh, relationship where uh, young people date older men and by so doing they cannot even negotiate on what type of sexual intercourse they have to engage into and it's it's very bad because um, you find young girls uh, falling pregnant at a very young age and that's where we have so many new infections because men are really not into going to the facilities and getting tested. And what are some things you think our programs can be doing to better serve women your age and young people your age in general? I think more of a non-technical information dissemination because we do have information for these young people about their health, about life skills, but they are very, very technical. They don't even understand them or they are very long and can't even relate to what is written there. And also, social media would really do the best in terms of giving them information. I think that's very helpful and uh, and good for us to hear, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as we're designing programs. I also think it, um, you are in a unique position because you're telling your own personal story. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine, you know, four years ago when you were first uh, diagnosed, I don't know if that would have been so easy. Um, how, how have you been able to build that strength? It hasn't been so easy, but luckily I haven't seen um, negative responses as I was sharing my story. So I think that's what kept me going. And all these four years I've been working more with young people and I think it's really great because they are willing to listen to what I say and they're willing to be inspired and try to adapt what I'm doing as much as it's not as easy to disclose your status but they really try to be okay and try to at least disclose to people who are close to them. That That's really wonderful and you know there's something you said that makes me think about our work. CDC is uh, the nation's foremost uh, agency when it comes to science mm-hmm. and using science to improve people's lives and, and, th- and their health. Um, but often the science is very technical. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like your role is so important in translating some of that technical language into something that, you know, your fellow peers can understand. Mm-hmm. How, how do you do that? I was telling my colleague that I, I saw the CDC uh, prep pamphlet online and it has so much information on it. But I try by all means to break it down into scenarios for it to be easier. For instance, when you talk about suppressed viral load, I take an illustration of having CD4 count as water in the in the very huge container and then we have viral load as a very small uh, juice that you dilute with water. So it becomes very easier for them to understand when I, I do the illustrations or examples that they basically come through in life. 
Yeah, and you just did a great job of explaining some technical terms. So just just uh, take a step back. PrEP is um, is pr- medicine you can take to prevent HIV. Yes, and uh, you talked about CD4 count. Mm-hmm. And uh, what what is that? How do you explain that? Well, we basically say CD4 count is the soldiers of your body. They fight for your body. They fight illnesses. So that's how we explain it to them. So you better make sure that your soldiers are healthy and well fed so that they'll be able to fight any disease that comes into your body. Yeah, and the best way to keep those soldiers healthy is... Is to take your medication. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly the statement we want to get out there, mm-hmm. the importance of taking your medicines. And then the last thing I think you touched on was uh, this idea of viral suppression. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you explain that? What I say to them is that when you take your medication, then your soldiers aren't really working that hard to fight the viral load. So it becomes stored into a container where it cannot even give birth to other viruses. So you are able to live freely and your soldiers are able to fight other specific diseases that comes into your body. So you better make sure that you take your medication so that you keep this HIV into one container stored there. What you just done, which I think is remarkable, is uh, three of the most important things we have in science to end the HIV epidemic, which is preventive treatment, mm-hmm. um, treatment for those who are positives, and then reducing their viral load. To, mm-hmm. And now we know that if we do a very good job with that uh, and their viral load is suppressed, they can live a, a normal, healthy life, mm-hmm. not transmit to their loved ones, have children, have a family. And you just took those three really important scientific concepts and uh, explained it in a really nice way. And it's great to hear. And and are these messages connecting with people your age? Yeah, they do connect with them. And although it might be tricky for them when you you tell them that when you take your medication well and your viral load is not detectable, you cannot transmit the viral load to anybody else. So they take it as if they are now healed and we, we face a challenge of them not take their medication well because they think they're now healed. Yes, and we've heard that as well. And I guess that's the difference between uh, treatment and cure. And cure, yes. Um, and I think that the good news is our treatment is very, very good. Right. Uh, the medications we have now are much better than they were before, more effective and easier to take. Yeah. But it's not quite a cure. And so the importance of taking them daily is, is really... It's really important. Yeah. So, Minish, if I can ask you, um, having to work with PEPFA, like how how do you see or where do you see um, ending of this global epidemic? I really believe that we do have all the scientific tools to end the HIV epidemic. Uh, and it goes back to that triangle, really, of prevention treatment, and then viral suppression um, through treatment. Mm -hmm. And this is somewhat unique because usually for viruses, we look for a vaccine or some other cure, but we actually have everything we need to get to the end of the epidemic without a vaccine and Mm -hmm. without a cure. Um, And we know in countries like Lesotho, we're actually getting close uh, the, the latest reports show that we're getting much closer to where we need to be to end the epidemic. However, the last part is usually the toughest mm. as well. So when I look ahead, I, I look at who are we missing? Who have we not found who has HIV? Who have we not put on treatment? And whose viral load do we not have suppressed? Mm. And how do we create programs and services that better serve those people? 
we have the science, we know the medicine of HIV, but the services come out of the creativity and innovation from your country, you know, mm-hmm. from on the ground. And so one of the things I really enjoy about uh, the work I do is going out and seeing those programs and seeing the new ideas. And frankly, a lot of those ideas are from people like you, uh, young people, people who are uh, themselves HIV positive, thinking about and letting us know how they want to have their services. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, do they want to go to the hospital all the time to get their treatment, or could they get their treatment at a neighborhood pharmacy mm-hmm. or some other place in the community? Um, how frequently do they have to go? Um, I don't know if you're university now, but I, there are you know university type programs as well. So to me, that's the end part. Is now we look at the smaller number of people we have not reached, and how do we design services that better meet their needs? And I think we can reach the end. I think we're getting there because now that we have 14 adolescent um, corners in the country, we, we, we just need to like strengthen how they operate and try to open more of them so that we, we can be able to capture young people to come to the facilities without judgments, without um, any worries of being next to your neighbor or your aunt and they'll be knowing that why you are at the facility. And now that we have men's clinics, which uh, actually provide services for these partners, for young girls, uh, it's going to help. And I think the adolescent uh, corners, adolescent clinics are a great example of that creativity. Uh, The ones I've seen, not in Lesotho, but in other countries, they're, they look like a fun place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't feel like a medical yeah. clinic or a hospital. Uh, they're a place that maybe I'd want to go and meet some friends, or sometimes they had you know really cool books and mm-hmm. activities. And I think that's the type of imagination we need to to get there. So it's great to hear that you're working in mm-hmm. that environment. How has participating in this work changed changed your outlook for your future? I've been wanting to help people since I was young. I studied counseling and I think it's it's a great field for me to be. I just need to upgrade the the standards of my counseling knowledge and see what the future holds for me. And basically all I want is to see women who are empowered. I want to see women who are able to stand for what they want. I want to see young women who are brave enough to be leaders and not wanting to depend on men. Maybe I'm a feminist. I don't know. <laughs> That's a powerful statement. I'll take it. Yeah. What do you see for yourself next? Huge things. <laughs> I see so many huge things. I see, well, all I want to do is work with young people. All I want to do is end the pediatric AIDS. I want to see an AIDS-free generation. I want young people to be happy. I want young people to support each other. So basically, me working in this field, most of the times I feel I put myself last than other people, but it's okay. It gives me joy. So, Yeah, and you mentioned this idea of an AIDS-free generation, and, I, and that is what we're hoping to do. Mm-hmm. If we look back in history, before a program like PEPFAR, I think there were less than 50,000 people in Africa who had HIV who are on treatment. Mm. And now um, CDC supports over 8 million. 
and that number's probably higher. <laughs> That's the last I looked at it. And PEPFAR overall covers about 14 million people on treatment. So the knowledge that we have about treatment as prevention, and you mentioned earlier this undetectable as untransmissible message, mm-hmm. uh, Those are very strong scientific facts that the more people we put on treatment, that's how we get to that Mm. AIDS-free generation. Um, So it's it's within our reach, uh, but we've got a little bit ways to go. Yeah, especially now that we have been going for a very long time, the PMTCT prevention from mother to child transmission. And I think it's really working in our country for young girls who are pregnant mothers and breastfeeding mothers because we have so many cases of um, young positive women who are HIV positive and have HIV negative children. That's right. And uh, I think that's really been one of the successes of the program uh, from the very beginning. What messages do you have for uh, young people out there? What should they know about HIV? I want them to know that HIV, it's not the end of the world. It does not determine who you are. You can still be who you are or even better. I want them to strive to be better people. I want them to to see themselves as huge leaders. I want them to, to know that um, their voices are being heard. And most importantly, they should know what they need so that when they say we want our voices to be heard, then they should know what they want so that they don't just say, We want our voices to be heard, but when you ask them, what do you want? And then they don't know, so they should. (laughs) I think you have a message of both uh, optimism and some responsibility, is that Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That that the generation has to care for itself and have an idea of what they want. I just want to touch back on on something you said that... uh, you know, not only can your life be the same with HIV, but perhaps in some ways better. Um, Why why do you say it can be better? So when you're HIV positive, you are really focused on, I want the world to see me that I can can be a better person, that HIV does not define who I am. So that's what makes us better. That's what wakes us up in the morning to say, um, I want the community to see that even if I'm HIV positive, I can achieve more than anybody else. Like, it does not stop me to be who I want to be. That's such a powerful message. I'm really happy you feel that way because that's also something that we can back up with science. Mm. You know, we now know that uh, someone who's HIV positive, if we can find them early after they've been infected and keep them on treatment, they can live a life as long as anybody else. Exactly. You know, and and have all the great things in their lives with family and career and and life experiences Mm -hmm. that uh, anyone who's HIV negative. So it's really great to hear you feel what we know, you know, and the science is is real. Yeah. I have found in my work that... uh, People like you, who are peer counselors, um, there's community health workers as well. Really, the the non-medically trained uh, work hmm. is as important, if not more important, uh, in, in being successful in these programs. Because when, when the community takes ownership and really sees this as their role, uh, the programs work so much better. And you have, you have such a better connection to... Um, you know, your colleagues and your peers mm-hmm. than, uh, than sometimes people in the medical field can have. True, because sometimes we would just get prescriptions from doctors, but I'll have to convince that young person to take the medication. So Yeah, how do you do that? <laughs> well, 
most of the time I use my story because it's not as if um, I got tested and I took medication immediately. I got tested and then I waited two weeks to get medication. But I would wake up in the morning and go to work under the Ministry of Health. We had the mobile clinics where we um, implemented the test and treat. I would wake up in the morning and go to work and try to convince someone to take their medication who tests positive. It's not as easy as it sounds. You just tested positive and now you have to take medication. So I try by all means to tell them that I know it's not easy, but it's not going anywhere. Rather, you are just digging your grave by not taking this medication. At least start to take your medication and then we'll work on how you accept your status and then we'll try to figure out where, because that's what we ask ourselves, where did I get the, the HIV? And then we'll just figure that later when we took the medication and we're healthy. That's right. And so what you're saying is don't delay in the treatment, even as you're working through some of these yeah. challenges. And that, that's absolutely true. That's something we think is important. Um, what are some reasons people tell you that they're not not ready to start their medicine? Most of the time is their family. They would say, how am I going to take this treatment in front of my family? How are they going to look at me? Because we know the sex taboo behind HIV, that it's it's very bad and it's still high in, in our country. Like when, when you're HIV positive, they say you most likely you had unprotected sex, which, yeah, it might be the case, but it's not always the case. And um, so we try by all means to convince them to take the medication. Yeah, and, you know, the family uh, gets to the idea of stigma mm-hmm. that starts very close to home. Right, and when you don't have support at, a fam- at, at your home, in your family, then... You, you wouldn't even feel you should take the medication in the first place. Well, this is why we have psychologists and social workers in our adolescent corners so that they would be able to provide the psychosocial support in the facility and try by all means to see that our young person is supported back at home by doing the home visit. That's great. Um, one of the things we think is important is is uh, what we call disclosure, mm-hmm. which is uh, sharing your HIV status. If if not with family, then you know perhaps a close friend. Do you have these discussions with with people? Yeah, and it's not easy. It's not as easy as it sounds because you have to be ready to face the negative reactions, because there are most negative reactions than the positive ones. And you find that even if I want to disclose. My family wouldn't let me to do that because they would say it reflects bad on them. And to tell somebody you are HIV positive, not knowing what to expect from them, it's very hard. So that's what we are trying to figure out. Dee, thank you for sharing your inspirational story. I truly believe that if we all work together, the global community will be able to achieve HIV epidemic control. It's exciting, and I'm incredibly proud to be part of this effort. Well, thank you to Minesh and to CDC and PEPFA for the commitment over all these many years that they have been helping us to gain access to treatment and remain healthy and virally suppressed. I'm very hopeful that one day we'll get that AIDS-free generation. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.